the great watershed. Psalm 1, <clears throat> starting in verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. This is the word of God. We need to understand the times and we need to recognize the threats that confront us. Isn't it a nice look at this sort of satellite picture of South Africa, Southern Africa, and you can spot there we are, Cape Town, one big bright light. You see Port Elizabeth, East London, up there's got to be Grahamstown, that's over there, some Tata, Durban, and the whole KZN coast is really big. I think we've got Bloemfontein right there. Okay, Kharteng, Pretoria, Joburg. Vrenikin, welcome. Well, welcome's just about over there. Uh, Harare, quite clear. Bulawayo, where I grew up, over here. There's Vintuk. And you can sort of work your way around and see, wow, um, there's Gaborone. And, uh, interesting as you go along, and up there's Lusaka. So uh, looking from a satellite image at night, on a cloudless night, uh, where the lights are, that doesn't reflect where the spiritual lights are necessarily, but still it gives a bit of a perspective of what it can look like when God looks down and he can see the bright lights, those are mine and those are not. Of course it would look different from this map, that's for sure. There are many serious issues confronting us which require a bold and biblical stand. Sadly, a lot of the church, like represented by this LGBTQ whatever uh, priest, are not the ones making a bold and biblical stand. Children are at risk. Nobody knows the sacrifices that parents have to make in order to protect their children from the hideous amounts of attacks. To bring up children in a protected environment today is hard. And make no mistake, any diligent parent suffers a lot of slings and shots of the enemy. Marriage itself is under attack. I mean, just saying something like there's only two genders or marriage can only be between a man and a woman is called hate speech that can get you deplatformed, kicked out. Professors have lost their jobs for saying something as simple as that. The family, the basic building block of society, is being undermined. Even the very plain differences between male and female are being challenged by the transgender, gender fluidity, gender confusion movement, destroying women athletes' careers, people who've trained their whole lives, suddenly having it stolen by some male saying, well, I identify as a woman. You know, next thing you're going to have uh, some motorbiker entering bicycle races uh, and saying, I identify as a bicycle. And, you know, where is this going to end? This is beyond ridiculous. The COVID cult has been used as a smokescreen for advancing the communist agenda through lockdown lunacy and what some called economic suicide. But suicide suggests it's voluntary. The crippling and killing of so many millions of businesses worldwide are more akin to economic murder and mass murder than suicide. So even calling it economic suicide is being a bit nice. It's not even suicide, it's actually murder. No law is valid if it violates the Bill of Rights. Yet the extraordinary COVID 
19 state of emergency disaster lockdowns violated the essential freedoms which a Bill of Rights guarantees, like freedom of religion, freedom of belief, freedom of worship, freedom of association, freedom of assembly, freedom to demonstrate, freedom of movement. Marxist critical race theory has been used to confuse, divide and conquer. Pornography and perversion, corrupt and conquer, are being persistently promoted by some of the highest authorities in the world, along with propaganda, panic-mongering, fear-mongering, disinformation, deceit and revolutionary rhetoric. I made a reference to this the other day and I thought maybe I must justify it by showing some of the newspaper headlines. The Rape of Justice in England. Here's a story of a young girl abducted by an Asian, read Muslim, grooming gang in England at age 15. Sarah was branded white trash, held as a sex slave for 12 years. But it's what happened to her after she escaped that truly defies belief. What happened to her after she was released? She couldn't find the police or child protection unions or the prosecutors in England willing to prosecute because they didn't want to be called racist. Child sex abuse gangs could have assaulted one million youngsters in the United Kingdom. Horrific betrayal of 1,400 children just in one particular municipality. The child protection services didn't want to know about it, didn't want to deal with it. The Scotland Yard police, all of the great British bobbies and so on, unwilling to protect English children because they were afraid of being called racist and tackling Muslim grooming gangs. And so they keep talking about Asian gangs. Well, it's a bit unfair to blame all Asians because this was an entirely Muslim crime syndicate. And then you get low-life scum like Harvey Weinstein. You will not believe how many movies you've seen which actually start with a Weinstein production. Remember when I had to go and review Mandela Long Walk to Freedom and I was, do I really want to do this? 2013. But my good friend, Dr. Ted Bear, said, Peter, I need you to review Mandela Long Walk to Freedom, which was being released in South Africa before America. So I remember I was, I mean, just to show you how the timing can be, I was sitting in a uh, award ceremony, which my son Calvin was going through at that stage, and I was, uh, I was sitting in this and I was checking my watch and thinking, you know, today's Tuesday, Thursday we've got the Reformation Society, then I've got this and the other going, I don't know when I'm going to be able to see this blasted film, let alone review it, if I don't do it tonight. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, got the picture, Calvin's got his award, I wonder if the film's on the 8 o'clock show at Cavendish. Dashed off to Cavendish, Got there in time, sure enough, the long walk to freedom was on, and I had a bunch of UCT groupies who, oh, oh, applause and all this throughout, and thinking, oh, they're watching, so at the end they stood up and gave a standing ovation, the other six people in the cinema. Um, and uh, uh, so, anyway, the whole next day, Wednesday, I wrote it, got it uh, up and running, printed, published, uh, Thursday out, Movie Guide published it. That Thursday night and early hours of Friday morning, Mandela dies. And suddenly the whole world went berserk. And I had the only film review out there on Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom uh, before everyone else, and it was only negative on Mandela as well. So I suddenly had mountains of radio, TV, I mean, through the night, as late as 2 in the morning, as early as 4 in the morning, all over the world, radio, TV, you name it, Skype, Zoom, whatever, 
And uh, I was just deluged with all of the interviews on it. And it was, it's like when a wave comes, you've got to surf that wave. Uh, and you only get that opportunity once in a lifetime sort of thing. Well, I did that and was able to communicate a lot about Mandela, liberation theology, Marxism, what's behind it, and so on. Well, the film starts with a Weinstein production. Now, Weinstein produced a lot of sicko garbage uh, and a lot of mainstream things, a lot of Academy Award-winning type films. It turned out to be a complete predator, a complete pariah and pedophile, along with a whole host of other Hollywood greats. And there's all sorts of famous names who are involved in this Me Too movement who have also been involved in really raping, abusing. And these are some of the names that are most respected in Hollywood. They've broken every one of the commands out there, smashed into pieces. Just to give you another feel of the evil we're dealing with in the world, I've seen this on two occasions in different languages. Pro-aborts demonstrating with, if only Mary had had an abortion, we wouldn't be in this mess. Or words to that effect. Can you imagine the pro-choices are not pro-choice, they're actually anti-life. They're pro-abortion. In fact, in many cases, they're even anti-Christ. Can you imagine suggesting this world would be a better place without Jesus? Can you imagine? There was an excellent book produced by Dr. James Kennedy and Jerry Newcomb, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? Really superb, well worth reading. Basically, this world would not be worth living in if it hadn't been for Jesus. You and I would not want to live in a world where Jesus had not come and transformed life and time and brought salvation. But there's people out there who think Jesus is the greatest problem in all of history. If only you could get rid of Jesus, the world would be, in their minds, wonderful. There are people burning churches. There are thousands of churches being attacked. I mentioned the other day, just between 2010 and 2015, 1,000 churches in northern Nigeria were attacked by Boko Haram terrorists. All over the world, there are attacks on churches. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful followers. Are you one of the called, chosen, faithful followers of the Lord? Christian civilization is being confronted by communist coercion. Civilization is really at a crossroads in our lifetimes right now. The church is being challenged by communist coercion. Communities are being confronted by an aggressive agenda. Not just the LGBTQ, gay GB, pink inquisition. There's a whole host of attacks on Christianity right now. In many cases, the church is fumbling, dropping the ball, not confronting it, going into a hole, sticking the head in the sand, or worse still, joining the campaigns of the world. Just to point out again some documentation of what I mentioned in passing the other day, outside the European Parliament in Strasbourg, they have got a woman riding a beast, which is a real biblical imagery of the whore of Babylon and the Roman Empire. Notice the EU office in Brussels has also got another more modern art version of the woman riding the beast. Some sicko artistic depiction. And then you've got Bruegel's Tower of Babel, and he was a Brussels artist in the Reformation era, and a modern Tower of Babel called the European Parliament, which is self-consciously built on Tower of Babel. This is the EU's poster that they used to launch the EU. Europe, many tongues, one voice. And this looks like an exact modernised replica of Bruegel's famous painting of, the, of Tower of Babel. 
And notice how they've taken the stars of the EU, but they've changed it slightly, so it's not one star pointing upright, but it's more like the, the goats, horns, ears, and beard. It's a, the pentagram, which is an occultic symbol. And so, spot the difference. I mean, that's the EU building, which has been built like the Tower of Babel, even through incomplete scaffolding. And then you've got their poster to advertise it. This is self-consciously rebelling against God. Fist of rebellion in God's face. We are going to reverse Babel. We're dealing with a world that's that blatantly anti-Christ. They even call a computer running the EU in Brussels, the beast of Brussels. They're just like mocking anything in the Bible. They're very, and they even put the code 666 into their barcodes. They put it into the EU codes. Just over and over, blatantly rebelling, blatantly saying we are in rebellion to God. We need to understand the times. We need to know what God's people should do. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Also, I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. Jeremiah 6, 16 to 17 is a word for our day. God has appointed a few people as watchmen whose job is to sound the trumpet, whether on radio, from the pulpit, through publications, open air preaching maybe, but we need to sound the trumpet. We need to call God's people to arms, just like Nehemiah would call the workers on the walls to defend that part of the wall that's under attack at the moment. Well, right now, we've got multiple parts of the wall under attack simultaneously, and we need to be alert, we need to be armed, we need to work with a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other because as in the days of Nehemiah we're facing it today there are five great solas, battle cries of the reformation in Latin which we can use as a gold standard for what we are called to stand for, salvation is sola gracia, solely by the grace of God alone sola fide, salvation is received by faith alone Solus Christus, Christ alone is the head of the church. Christ alone is the only mediator. He is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to Father but them. Soli Deo Glory, everything should be done for the glory of God alone. And Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone is the ultimate authority. And these are the five great battle cries. These are the five great gold standards. These are five principles. We can evaluate our faith, our congregation, our denomination, the church worldwide by Nearly 500 years ago, Professor Martin Luther declared, if I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God's word, except precisely that point which the devil and the world are at that moment attacking, then I'm not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing. For where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefront besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. Before us are clear choices and crossroads. Are you going to choose fear or freedom? Panic or perception? Gender confusion or God's creation? Medical dictatorship or moral discernment? Disinformation deception or facts and truth? Fear or faith? Disinformation or discernment? Who on earth thought out this sicker idea of pointing a laser-type gun at people's foreheads? You know, they could test your wrist and say, what is this business line up and we're going to point this 
gun-like thing at your forehead. You know, I was like, under geen omstandighede, is jy mal? No, you don't point some laser-like gun at my forehead. And yet they want us to follow curfews and lockdowns and compulsion. Well, we choose Christian liberty. Are you going to take lockdowns or liberty? Medical mandatory vaccinations or informed consent? There was no informed consent. They lied morning, noon and night. People like Justin Trudeau, Ramaphosa, Boris Johnson, Biden. I promise you, if you get this vaccine, you will not get COVID. They said, I bought it. I promise you. This is effective. It's safe and effective. And on and on and on. Well, now we know they didn't even test it. They didn't. Pfizer even admitted before the Dutch Parliament under oath. No, we didn't even test it. Didn't have time. So all of the, you know, it's safe and effective. No, complete and utter lies. And the amount of people who've had heart attacks, strokes, health wrecked, ruined, dead, because of these cursed, blasted, damn vaccines, which were mandatory. You know there's something wrong when it's mandatory. You know, if it was safe and effective, you wouldn't have to mandate it and bully people and lie about it. The choices between communist coercion or Christian civilization. Revolution or reformation. Indoctrination or education. Speaking of which, Professor Martin Luther warned, I'm much afraid that schools will prove to be wide gates to hell unless they diligently labor in explaining the Holy Scriptures, engraving them in the hearts of youth. I advise no one to place his child where the scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution in which men are not constantly occupied with the word of God must become corrupt. See to it that no one takes you captive to a hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Why would we want to send our children to be educated by the enemies of our faith? Did God command the children of Israel to send their children to the Philistines to be trained? While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. 2 Peter 2.19 can be written over a lot of the world's agenda. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. We are fighting for faith and freedom. We need to understand the attacks and we need to understand the threats and we need to counterattack the communist agenda because at its heart this is a battle over authority. If you go to the center of South Africa, you will find the Drakensberg Mountains. Drakensberg means the Dragon Mountains. So the Drakensberg are the Dragon's Mountains. And it looks like dragons' uh, backs over there, these ridges. The Drakensberg is a watershed. A watershed is a dividing mountainous area which will divide which direction the water will flow. And so you can imagine on the tops of the Drakensberg Mountains between Lesotho and Natal, water will fall. But at that watershed, at that highest point, whether the water falls one foot on this side of the watershed or one foot the other side will make a big difference. Because at first you'll think, well, what's the difference? Just, you know, just basically flowing this direction, that direction. Well, after a few weeks, that water's far and far apart. So... Basically, all the water that falls in Drakensberg will end up in either Atlantic or the Indian Ocean. That which falls slightly to the west of the watershed, that'll end up in the Vol River. And it's going to go all the way out to the Orange River 
and then ultimately into the Atlantic Ocean. In this case, here at the end, uh, this is whereas the others that are flowing through Natal go into Tugela River, ultimately into the Indian Ocean. And uh, here you can see the Tugela emptying into the Indian Ocean. Here you can see the Orange River emptying into the Atlantic. It all starts in this watershed here, the Drakensberg Mountains. The Tugela River flows into the Indian Ocean. Orange River will flow all the way into the Atlantic Ocean. And this is what a watershed does. It divides. And where you start doesn't seem to be quite as significant as where you end. Where you fall on the watershed of authority, the authority of scripture, affects everything. In his controversy with Celsus over the deity of Christ, the church father Oregon constantly referred to scripture as final authority. The scripture is infallible. Augustine, one of the greatest church fathers of all time, certainly the greatest theologian of the first millennium, declared, For I confess to your charity that I have learned to defer this respecting honour to those scripture books, only which are now called canonical, that I believe most firmly that no, not one of these authors has erred in any respect in writing. The scriptures are infallible. Martin Luther used the word inerrant. The great Protestant reformer, Professor Martin Luther, declared, The scriptures have never erred. It is impossible that scripture should contradict itself. It only appears so to the senseless and obstinate hypocrites. At Worms, 1521, just over 500 years ago, Martin Luther was confronted by the full ecclesiastical and political might of the Holy Roman Empire. He was ordered to recant. Martin Luther made his bold stand on the word of God. Here I stand, I can do no other. And at Worms, there's this wonderful monument reminding us of that great time when Professor Luther made his stand on the Word of God, the inerrant Word of God. The Scripture is the scepter by which Christ rules his church. You know that any monarch has a scepter to indicate their power, and there's even a scepter in Parliament indicating the power of Parliament, and there are churches where an elder will carry an open Bible into the church beginning of service. Everyone stands recognizing this is the power, the scepter by which Christ rules his church. It's placed on the Lord's table, then the people can sit. A good ceremony. John Calvin referred to the scriptures as the sure and infallible record and an unerring standard. He also declared the scripture to be the scepter by which Christ rules his church. William Farrell, one of the great, Gilliman Farrell, one of the greatest of the French-speaking reformers, he is depicted here in a Swiss monument upholding an open word of God. The Bible is the standard. It is the word of God. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in the heavens. Psalm 119.89. The word of God stands forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah 40 verse 8. The word of God is everlasting. Our Lord Jesus Christ declared, For assuredly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot, not one tittle will by any means pass the law until all is fulfilled. Matthew 5.18 makes it clear, not the smallest stroke of a pen in a scripture can be altered. It's more definite than heaven and earth. It is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. The word of God is eternal. It endures forever. 
But the word of our Lord endures forever, we read in 1 Peter 1, 25. The scriptures inspired of God. It is God-breathed. 2 Peter 1, 21. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It is the faithful word. Titus 1, 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. Exhortation is to encourage and to call to action. Convict, of course, bring a person to repentance. The word of God is discerning. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. And of joints and marrow is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. How often don't we read God's word and we just find it finds us out, it exposes, it reveals our motives, it brings us to repentance, conviction, it, it resolves things, it helps us suddenly realize so clearly what is right, what is wrong, what is somewhere in the middle, what is not acceptable to God. The word of God is discerning and it's cleansing. How can a young man cleanse his way? But taking heed to your word. Psalm 119 verse 9. The word of God will enable us to learn more than all our teachers. It is the word of truth. Our Lord Jesus Christ in his high priestly prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. From the lips of our Lord Jesus himself, in red letters, if you've got a red letter Bible, the word of God is truth. It is the definition of truth. And it cleanses us. It sanctifies us. We learn the nature of God from the word of God. We believe God's word to be infallible. Because we know God himself is infallible. God is truth and therefore his words are truth. The scriptures are God-breathed. God is fully able to preserve the record of his revelation. It is the standard. There are those who say that their authority is Christ. I've heard people saying, well, my authority is Christ, not the Bible. I've heard this at Anglican Theological Seminary in Grahamstown University where they try to deny that the Bible should be our standard. They said Christ is our standard. Well, these people tend to also hold to a weakened view of the infallibility that they claim the Bible is only infallible in those areas of faith and practice, but in terms of science and history, it contains errors. Now, this apparently super pious statement must be questioned, for how can Christ have any authority if the witnesses to him, the Gospels, are not infallible? If the word of God is not preserved and the Bible is fallible, by what standard are we to know him or his will? The Bible is the scepter by which Christ rules his church. The problem with these people is they say, well, Christ is my standard, not the Bible. They tend to be the kind of people like we've had here. I've had people in our boardroom being interviewed for potential jobs saying that they asked, what would Jesus do? And they convinced that Jesus in their situation would have, in one case, chosen an abortion and so on and so forth. Or Jesus would never condemn any homosexual, and so on and so forth. Now, this is the problem, you know. If you say Jesus, you stand, well, which Jesus? The Jesus of the Bible or the Jesus of your imagination and of your culture and of your, your um, entertainment or the Jesus that I've picked up from Hollywood? God's word must be above all things. There's no other way of knowing about Christ and his great commission except through the Bible. What people are trying to do when they try to sideline the Bible and say their authority is God, without being taught the Bible is the word of God, is they're placing their feelings. 
The emotions are the reason on the throne which should be reserved for God and his word alone. My Jesus would never condemn anyone to hell. Archbishop Desmond Tutu said, I could never worship a homophobic God. If God doesn't allow homosexuals into heaven, I don't want to go there myself. Honestly, so what's more important to him, God and his word, or his feelings and his emotions and his allegiances? This is absolutely bizarre. The amount of people that come out, well, my Jesus, well, my God, well, and, and if the person says, well, my God would never condemn anyone to hell, you can agree with them and say, I'm sure he wouldn't because your God doesn't exist. He's a figment of your imagination. But the God of the Bible does condemn people to hell. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Proverbs 30, verse 5 to 6. There's a lot of liars out there in our theological seminaries, cemeteries. God's word shall never pass away. Our Lord declared the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, shall pass away. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the word of God cannot pass away. Scripture cannot be broken. In John 10, verse 33 to 36, our Lord told the Jewish religious leaders the scriptures cannot be broken. In Matthew 22, 32, our Lord based his argument against the Sadducees on the present tense of the verb to be, or in Greek, imi. As God identified himself to Moses saying, I am, ego imi, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It proves that he is the God of the living, not of the dead. If the resurrection of the body was not a fact, then God would have said, I was the God of Abraham. Yet hundreds of years after the death, God could state that he still is the God. I am the God of Abraham. This, our Lord Jesus taught, proved that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, though they had experienced physical death, they were still very much alive. This is verbal inspiration. We could illustrate the point that Christ is making this way. If a married couple were blessed with four children, but one had died, and you asked how many children they have, they may answer, we had four, but only three are living. They may also say, we have four children, three on earth and one in heaven. Now, the second answer is very clear that those parents believe in the truth of the resurrection. We had past tense versus we have present tense. Our Lord bases his argument defending the truth of the resurrection against the Sadducees who denied this by pointing to the present tense of God's revelation of himself. I am the God of Abraham. Not I was. Every word of God is sure. In Matthew 22, 43 to 45, our Lord Jesus takes a single word from Psalm 110 verse 1 to prove that the son of David is also the Lord of David. Messiah was born a descendant of King David, yet he is his divine Lord. The very tense of the word is used to prove biblical doctrine. Every tense of every word is trustworthy. In the same way, the Apostle Paul argues in Galatians 3.16 that the promise is to Abraham and his seed singular, not plural. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say into seeds as of many, but as of one as to your seed who is Christ. Galatians 3.16. All of this proves the plenary, verbal, inspiration, inerrancy, and authority of Holy Scripture as contained in the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. This means every word of Scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit and bears the authority of God, which our Lord Jesus himself argues 
on the very tense and on a single word. All of his words are true. God is almighty. And all of his words come with the full weight of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God is truth. This is definite. As A.A. Hodges and Outlines in Theology writes, men think in words. And the more definitely they think, the more are their thoughts immediately associated with the exactly appropriate verbal expression. Infallibility of thought cannot be secured or preserved independently of an infallible verbal rendering. That's why dictionary definitions like Webster's 1828 is very important to help us understand those words from a biblical point of view. It is the infallible standard. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. Isaiah 8 verse 20. You can say this about a lot of World Council Church's statements. They make statements, but where's the scripture? Where's the biblical basis? It's without foundation. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, will he not make it good? God's word is life-giving. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and endures forever. God's word is awesome. I hear too many people speaking about things being awesome, but actually only God is awesome, and his creation can be called awesome. But we shouldn't be talking about awesome when we're just referring to some human thing. That's, it's a word that God reserves in the Bible for himself. I stand, my heart stands in awe of your word. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper the thing for which I sent it. In this sense, the word of God is not only a sword. It's not only like a bullet or an arrow. It's more like a heat-seeking guided missile. It's a precision-guided weapon. When God's word goes out, it will accomplish its will. It will do whatever twists and turns it needs to, but it will find its target. You cannot escape the precision-guided word of God. It's more definite than any cruise missile. That is why the great missionary William Cameron Townsend, founder of Wycliffe Bible Translators, declared, the greatest missionary is the Bible in the mother tongue. It needs no furlough. It is never considered a foreigner. There are 2,000 different languages and dialects in Africa. And providing Bibles in the languages of the people is one of the most strategic things we can do. By God's grace, our mission has delivered hundreds of thousands of Bibles and New Testaments throughout Africa in well over 100 languages. Here in Sudan, flying behind enemy lines, delivering Bibles, in this case 9,700 Bibles and New Testaments in seven different languages. We've been able to take the Bible to church that have been bombed and burned and destroyed and present Bibles and study Bibles to people who have been persecuted, who will be training their people in the Word of God. That's also why we put a lot of time and effort into summarizing every book of the Bible, every book of the Old Testament and New Testament, and making it available as study guides to pastors who often don't have libraries, so that they can have access to resources that enable them to bring out the central message of every book in the Bible. We need to use the Bible as the word of God, as the missionary. We as Bible-believing evangelical Christians must respond as Dr. Martin Luther responded at Worms 
before the assembled political and ecclesiastical might of Europe on the 18th of April, 1521. We need to make a bold, clear, biblical stand on sola scriptura. Scripture alone is the ultimate authority. When people come out with weird and wonderful ideas, ask them, well, what scriptural proof do you have for that? What biblical verses back up this claim or statement? Unless I am convinced by scripture, or by clear reasoning, that I'm in error. For popes and councils have often erred and contradicted themselves. I cannot recant, for, my, for I'm subject to the scriptures I've quoted. My conscience is captive to the word of God. It is unsafe and dangerous to do anything against one's conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. So help me God. Amen. <clears throat> in the face of intimidation and threats in the world, we need to respond with the courage and the conviction of the Protestant reformers Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli. We must stand up and stand on the unchangeable word of God. We must not be conformed to this world. We must be willing to be different from this world. We need to stand up for Jesus, to step out in faith, to speak up and to proclaim the word of God faithfully and accurately. Our conscience needs to be kept to the word of God. Here we stand. Trials and tribulations are tests and training that we may become tenacious and trustworthy. The trials, trauma and tribulations of this present time need to be understood as training and tests to strengthen us as God's children for his service that we may become more trustworthy and more tenacious. You cannot trust people who haven't been trained and who haven't been tested in the fires, under fire, in battle. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done as it is in heaven. Jude 3, we told, contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. This is the watershed where we stand on the word of God. This is how you can evaluate everything, where people stand on the word of God. Any questions or comments? Yes, Ryan. And by the way, we do have here a limited number of harmonies of the Gospels, which scholars have put together that you can read the four Gospels in one flowing, showing how they all fit. Because some have more details, others have less. And so by putting it also the chronology, chronologically worked out, um, it's, it's a very useful thing to read the Gospels chronologically. There's something else that's very useful. Some people have brought out a chronological Bible, because you know our Bible is organized not in terms of chronology, but categories. But to read things in a chronological way is actually quite refreshing and interesting. Because many of the prophets and the history books are actually um, 
in very different... So, for example, the Psalms were written about 1000 BC. But Ruth uh, and Nehemiah and Ezra were written at very different times. In fact, Ezra and Nehemiah were written in the 5th and 4th centuries. So to have that before Psalms can confuse people. If you can read the Bible chronologically, it's actually very helpful too. So, but the harmony of the Gospel is very useful. Augustine did the first. Any other comments, observations, questions? And I did have one question. Yes, sorry. You showed a photo of the EU Tom building and compared it to Tower of Babel. Would you say that Nimrod was a globalist? He certainly seemed to be for totalitarian centralized control. So in that sense, of course, globalism back then wasn't as far-reaching as it is now. But they certainly seem to be trying to bring all of mankind under one centralized control at that time. Mm-hmm. Therefore, can we say that all globalists are Nimrods? <laughs> well, they're certainly following in that general direction. <laughs>